Hi, I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. We have two guests for today's podcast. One is former City Council member Robert Jackson. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you for having us. And we are also joined by Jessica Ramos, who is a candidate for the State Senate in the 13th District. Welcome. And I should have said, of course, Mr. Jackson is a candidate for State Senate as well. Robert Jackson. Yes. Not Mr. Please. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you, um, you're both taking on sitting state senators in the Democratic primary, which is set for September. Um, why don't you give us a, a little introduction of who you are and, and why you're running? Uh, we'll keep this maybe towards the elevator pitch style, but um, you know, then we'll get, in, we'll get into lots of questions and discussion. But uh, uh, Jessica, why don't you start us off? Uh, who are you? Why are you running? Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Jessica Ramos. I'm running for state senate. Uh, really because of the queens that um, I was born in, the queens that I'm raising two sons in, the queens I love isn't being represented in the state senate. And I say that because we're living in at a critical juncture, um, right? We have a bigot in the White House, um, and the only real way that we can fend off any attacks against our neighbors, against our pocketbooks, against our schools and our environment is if we have a strong and stable state government. And we that can't happen unless we have a Democratic majority in the state Senate. Um, and unfortunately, my uh, state senator has uh, made a very uh, grave mistake in voting for a Republican majority. My, uh, my neighbors and I elected a true Democrat. And so... This ended up being a very personal decision for me as a former uh, city employee. I understood the uh, limitations of city government. You know, just how much of a role does Albany play uh, in our daily lives? Um, and as a mother, you know, with two kids in public schools, um, PS69 and Jackson Heights, shout out. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, that school is owed $1.8 million in school funding. If you add up, uh, you know, or my, all of the schools in my district, I think it's around $45 million. I'm a strap hanger. Um, I'm tired of getting stuck on the subway. Um, and uh, I'm also a renter. I'm part of that professional class of young people who are drowning in student loans. And so every dollar that should have been going to my husband and I saving to buy an apartment has really gone, uh, has ended up uh, paying for our student loans, and, and, and we're still preferential renters. I don't know if all of your listeners know what that means, uh, but it means I pay rent at a rent-stabilized rate, but every time my lease is up, which happened last week, um, my landlord has the opportunity to raise it to market rate. He luckily didn't. It would have been a difference of about $700, which, quite frankly, is enough to displace my family from Jackson Heights. Um, and, and that's really who I'm fighting for. I'm fighting for those workers who are stuck on the subway. I'm fighting for working families like mine uh, who are on the verge of getting displaced every time their lease is up. And I'm fighting for my kids because no one messes with my kids. And so before, uh, Robert, you, you jump in. Um, so, Jessica, we should say you're challenging uh, State Senator Jose Peralta, uh, who's a member of the Independent Democratic Conference, uh, which has a power-sharing agreement with Republicans, as you alluded to, in the, in the State Senate. And Robert. Well, I'm running to represent people like Jessica and all of the people in New York City, more specifically the 31st Senatorial District, that thought they elected a Democrat but basically, they did elect a Democrat who turned on the people in our district to align herself, Marisol Alcantara, with the IDC in order to keep the Republicans in control 
of the New York State Senate. I'm running uh, because uh, I am needed in the New York State Senate in order to go up there and fight for the people in my district. If you look at my history overall, as you know, uh, I was on the school board. We filed a lawsuit against the city of New York for underfunding our schools. And Jessica mentioned about her school and her district. Uh, but it's like $4.3 billion for New York State. Of that, about $2 billion for New York City. And that's what the fight is about. The fight is about making sure that we have true Democrats, not turncoat, not rogue Democrats, going up there fighting for the people who represent. And so when you look at my history overall, as far as education, as far as, you know, um, in the city council, as the co-chair of the Black Latino Nation Caucus, fighting for small businesses, fighting for LGBT, fighting for, you know, uh, minority and women-owned businesses, I don't mind standing up myself and fighting the system because sometimes that's what you have to do. And you cannot be afraid to do that. And so uh, that's what I'm fighting for. And when you look at the district, 31st Senatorial District, the depth of it is very, very diverse. It goes from uh, Greenwich Village, 26th Street and 9th Avenue, all the way uptown to West Side, to Marble Hill, Inwood, Washington Heights. It's 13 miles long. It's a very gerrymandered district. And what we need is, we don't need uh, a, a person that's going up there and then uh, meeting with the Republicans and coming down to the district and thinking that everything is okay, in essence, playing a shell game on the people that we represent. And so that's why I'm there and fighting for that. Robert, you spent, I think it was three terms on the city council. Four terms. Two, two, four, four. Correct. It's 12 years, 12 years in the city council. Yeah. Uh, then you ran for borough president. You've run twice for this seat unsuccessfully. Mm -hmm. That's a long career in public service with a few recent elections where voters have not been convinced by your case. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about, over all those years, how have you changed? What about your views of public service have changed, if at all? And are you offering voters something different now than you were in 2014, 2016? Well, uh, my energy, enthusiasm, as far as representing the constituents that I represent in the 31st Senatorial District in Northern Manhattan has not wavered at all uh, because I know there's a need there. When you look at the issues of affordable housing, passed in the Assembly, um, didn't pass in the Senate, when you look at education funding, passed in the Assembly, didn't pass in the Senate. When you look at women's reproductive rights, passed in the Assembly, didn't pass in the Senate. When you look at all of these things, they're passed in the Assembly and haven't passed in the Senate. So you need a fighter that's willing to stand up. And quite frankly, if you know anything about me, I don't give up. I'm a fighter. And that's why if you look at the distance, I've run three New York City marathons. And no one can tell me what a marathon is until you've actually run it. Because your mind and body plays games on you. So I'm, I'm, I'm uh, committed to fighting for the people of the district. And as a result of that, uh, many of the Democratic clubs already, many district leaders, um, uh, many groups rise and resist, uh, Inwood, uh, uh, you know, Indivisible, Action Potluck, uh, you know, these groups have supported uh, because they know that when I go up there, I've taken an oath. Never, ever to, to go over to the IDC. And I raise my hand here now to all of you. That's so important. That's what the people of the 31st Senatorial District is looking for, and that's what they're going to get in me.
Jessica, explain a little bit more about your decision to run and how um, how do you see the atmosphere that Robert's discussing a little bit? Um, it seems to me, and I think just about everybody else watching, that the sort of awareness of the IDC has really grown. Um, there's a lot of backlash. It seems like the encouragement for you both and others to run against IDC members in primaries has really grown. Um, can you explain your decision, though, to say, um, I'm going to run, and, and do you expect the Democratic sort of establishment to get behind you, or do you think it's mostly going to be, um, you know, some of these groups that Robert just listed that are more anti-IDC, grassroots-style groups? So I think when uh, Trump was first elected, um, people really started to look at how our state government could ensure that progressive measures um, were being passed. And Robert alluded to a couple before, um, you know, not many people know that the reproductive uh, justice law that's in, on the books here in New York State is actually older than uh, Roe v. Wade. Um, and, you know, we're still fighting for single payer. We've seen Obamacare under attack um, severely and many other measures. And I think people start to question, well, don't I, don't I live in a blue state? Don't I live in a progressive state? And when you start you know, doing a ba very basic Google search, you see and, and, and you understand why it is that these laws don't pass. Um, you know, we've had a Republican majority since LBJ was president, with the exception of those two years, although a lot of those Democrats who were in power then aren't there anymore, Some thankfully. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so what we're looking to do is elect uh, dem de real Democrats. And we say that because, you know, you often hear the Trump Democrats say, that uh, that they are Democrats. But we know that it's much more than checking off that Democrat box on your voter registration card. Being a Democrat is ha having a certain value set. It's standing up for the little guy. It's standing up for the workers, for our kids, for our seniors. Um, and, and, and that's why I'm so proud to count on the endorsement of the Working Families Party. Um, and I have the endorsement of the Him Himalayan Democratic Club, which is a very, uh, uh, it's, it's a growing community in my district, um, not only in terms of residents, but a lot of small business owners as well. Um, I have support from several unions, including uh, UFCW Local 1500 and the social service workers. Um, and I've also received support from the Metallic Lathers, Local 46. And th these are folks who also know my work, right? I spent um, nearly 10 years working in the labor movement, um, doing that before I actually got to City Hall, fighting on immigrant issues and fighting for uh, making sure that real estate developments were um, union from shovel to broom, making sure that those uh, real estate developments were ones that actually worked for the communities where they were being built. And that's the skill set that I'm, I'm, I'm looking at to, to bring to, uh, to our state Senate, um, hoping that, you know, in actually building our relationship amongst colleagues, um, we get a lot of stuff done because ultimately that is one of the issues. How, if they come back, you know, and I'm not going to operate in hypotheticals, but if they were to come back, you know, how do you trust them not to betray us again? What we need to do is, you know, present a new cohort of colleagues that um, have relationships, that, that nurture uh, those relationships and make sure that we're getting good stuff done. It seems like a reference to this unity deal that's on the table between the IDC members and the and the mainline 
Senate Democrats and Governor Cuomo's been involved in brokering that, it seems. Yeah, I'm curious. How do you evaluate the governor's role in the IDC? Do you blame him for his formation? How do you think he's handled its existence? What do you want to see out of him for the remainder of this year after he presumably is reelected? Do you want him, do you want Governor Cuomo reelected given how he's handled the IDC and, and the, the caucus? I'm focused on, on, on the voters in my district. Um, what I'm doing every day is making sure that I'm using every single tool and resource at my disposal to make sure that I am getting my message out to voters because ultimately that is who has the say, uh, not Cuomo, not Jeff Klein, not anybody else. It's my voters who decide who our representative, our, who our representative is to the state Senate. Um, so, you know, that to an extent, uh, plays a, a, a sort of insider baseball, uh, you know, uh, environment uh, to all of this. And I understand, you know, the importance for you guys to cover that. But it's just really hasn't been my focus. I'm, the voters are who ultimately decides and not the governor and not anybody else. Do you think Cuomo should be reelected? Um, I have not decided who I'm going to vote for. Robert, thoughts, Robert, thoughts on the governor? <laughs> Well, I, I, you know, I am glad that the governor is attempting to play a role in bringing the forces together because you know the terminology in unity, there is strength. And in fact, I hope that this agreement works because uh, it will benefit the people not only of my district and Jessica's district, but the people of New York City more specifically, and New York State. I'm talking about people that have been in struggling and in need and all of the issues that impact that have been passed by the Assembly and not passed by the Senate. So I'm hoping that happens. Uh, but that deal, in my opinion, uh, is a deal that is not even made up of popsicle sticks, but made up of toothpicks. Uh, that's how fragile it is. Because when you look back at Four years ago, there was a deal on the table. And what happened to that deal? It collapsed. So I'm hoping so on behalf of the people that I represent. But no deal includes me. Uh, I didn't, I'm not part of that deal because I'm needed in the state senate because of what we have right now. We have someone that basically has turned their backs on the people of the district and keeping the Republicans in control of the New York State Senate. So and that we don't need. We need clear unity. We need Andrews to a cousins as a Democratic here, here. A majority leader. It will be the first woman, the first person of color, and I'm looking forward to that. So if this deal were to work out, perhaps one scenario is there's the two April special elections for the state Senate. Let's say Democrats win those seats. Uh, Knock on wood. There's um, <laughs> uh, a reunification of all the Democrats that has a lot of moving parts, Simca Felder, you know, and the IDC. So let's just say, though, that everybody elected with a Democrat uh, next to their name uh, comes together in April and May, pushes some uh, legislation that you've alluded to or actually mentioned here in the legislative session that ends in June. Do you drop your bids are you are you in this to primary day a hundred percent Ben my neighbors are really smart people um, my neighbors understand um, you know first and foremost that uh, 
when 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 you run for office, when you're elected um, under a certain circumstance, or um, uh, you know, as a Democrat, um, they expect you to behave as one. So uh, you know, this ambivalence of going back and forth. Um, you know, uh, he he supports the Dream Act. He's the the prime sponsor of the Dream Act, but then he undermines the entire process by by voting for a Republican majority. I mean, these are these are things that actually. Um, you know, greatly affect the daily lives in, 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 in our neighborhood and, and I'm sure in Roberts as well. Ultimately, I think people will realize that that's not a gamble that we should take, that, um, that what we need is a stable government, that they should know that their leader is steadfast um, and that their leader will continuously support, um, you know, what the democratic agenda is or, and or push for a democratic agenda that is progressive and reflects the needs of the district. So I, I take that as a yes, you're in this, uh, no yes. matter what, to, to primary day. That's a very long yes. Okay. Well, I'm not a quitter. Mm -hmm. And I'm in it uh, because the people of the district, if you walk the district, the 31st senatorial district, and I've run the entire distance, people are saying they support me running against Marisol. They know her record. Her record is one of uh, eating crumbs off the Republicans' plate. Her record is, as the chair of the Labor Committee, for one year, not even holding a hearing on the farm workers' bill. Basically, farm workers, as you know, they work seven days a week. They don't get a day off. They don't get paid overtime. They mm -hmm. cannot join a union. And so the editorials and articles about that forced her as the chair of the Labor Committee <coughs> in order to hold a hearing on that, and it voted out. But we know that's a sham that basically is going to go to the Agricultural Committee and it's going to be dropped. It's not going to happen. The farm lobby is so powerful that uh, John Flanagan, the majority leader, will never let that out of the state Senate. So, you know, let's stop playing games. We know who we have, and they know that in me what they're going to get. That's for sure. And I think that when you look at stuff, games that they play, for example, when Kevin Parker of Brooklyn was trying to tag on the education funding bill uh, for the children of New York State, they knew he was going to do that. And they made sure that they were absent, mm -hmm. absent from a vote. Instead of voting yes with them for the children of New York State, they absent themselves, okay, because they did not want to have a no vote where people can actually see they voted against the children of New York State. That's the type of underhanded conniving, uh, misleading actions that they take. And people know with me, the one thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to stand up. My record stands up already. That's exactly what they did with, you know, just a, a resolution to uh, commemorate Roe v. Wade. You know, it didn't pass. They're not, you know, it's not a law. It's just commemorating the, the 45th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, and they didn't show up to vote for it. So how are we supposed to, you know, trust that they're going to fight to codify it? Hmm. Um, Tony Avella, uh, you know, with the coal tax, he leads that committee. He's the sponsor of that bill. And yet, so he, he actually would have had a role in getting it out of committee to a vote. And he didn't. He refused. Why? Are they progressive? Just because, you know, they, they played the game of helping to pass uh, paid family leave and, and, and the minimum wage, 
increase even though it was tiered and it's only going to get out of state uh out, out of the, outside of the city by the end of this year i mean that's that's a role of in of inside politics that shouldn't be um you know we we shouldn't be uh counting on them to to become these mavericks to to just decide what's the most convenient thing of the day for them to do because the most convenient thing for them to do every single day is to fight for progressive people and to make sure that we are working under andrea stewart cousins so uh, to stay in to primary day and perhaps beyond will take tenacity and also money. And you often hear in the city and elsewhere about people, candidates, and who they will and will take money from. Donations over a certain size, money from, now we're hearing about gun manufacturers, obviously the NRA, questions about taking money from developers. Are you scrutinizing uh, who is donating to your campaign? And is there anybody who you want to tell now on the podcast to hear around the world <laughs> whose money you don't want, whether it's particular industry, donations over a certain size? Where do your principles and your money raising line up? No yeah. money from NRA. Yeah. I don't think the NRA is going to give us <laughs> yeah, any money either. either but, <laughs> but one thing is that you never know. But quite frankly, I don't see every contribution that comes in. Uh, my campaign has already received over 4,700 contributions, many people from around the country, as a result of the daily cost endorsing my candidacy when I announced uh, months ago that I was running. But I, I leave that to uh, the, my consultants and my staff, and obviously they will bring to my attention anything that needs to be dealt with. So I, I am a progressive individual. Uh, most of the people, uh, when you look at my January filing, the average filing was about $20, $22. Uh, quite frankly, uh, the real estate companies are not going to write 7,000 checks for me, $7,000 checks. And even if they did, if you look at my record standing up for the people that I represent, as Jessica indicated, uh, she lives in a rent-stabilized apartment. She's preferential rent. I live in a rent-stabilized apartment myself. I've been in an apartment my entire life. I wish that I own, but I don't, because my emphasis was on education. And when you look at my three girls, that's where my wife and I, we spent our resources to ensure that our kids got a good education. And that's why one right now is an MD, another one's a math specialist, another one's a dancer. But if that's where the money should be spent to make sure our children get a good education, absolutely. But the answer is that uh, I, I plan on taking the majority of all of my money from the constituents, that write checks for five, ten, twenty, you know, a hundred, five hundred, a thousand. I don't get too many seven thousand dollar checks. Let me just say Jessica, that. Jessica, would you take money from developers? So I am. Uh, I, I feel actually very much the same way about Robert. I don't look at uh, every single transaction or every single check that comes in. Our 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 fundraising strategy has really been focused on uh, our 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 constituents, our the voters, my neighbors. Um, in fact, in the last filing, more than half of our contributions came from people who vote in our district. Um, only because I've always been so active on, in my district. I used to be a member of the community board. I'm on the board of the Jackson Heights Beautification Group. I'm on the board of Farm Spot, which is our local uh, community supported agriculture program. And so our fundraising strategy, uh, which we like like to call no living room left behind has really <laughs> focused on going uh, from from a building to building from apartment to apartment talking to people and other than that my contributions so far have really uh, come from unions um, and from other progressives from around the city and and very few around the country but you know I think like Robert uh, the, the the most significant 
ones are often I've gotten a couple of three dollar contributions from uh, older women, seniors, mm. seniors, uh, senior Latinas in my district who really believe in our message, who really believe in me as a candidate, and and that's a great, you know, a very significant contribution from them. Jessica, I'm not um, obviously on the ground in your district uh, much. I am from Queens, but uh, I'm not. I'm not out there. That. Yeah, Whitestone. Um, <laughs> But I'm not on the ground in your in your district a lot. Um, and one of the things I think that you've alluded to is your work at City Hall, um, your work in labor. You know, you obviously people want to know not only that you're against this IDC senator, um, but they want to know about you and your record. And you obviously worked for Mayor de Blasio. Um, is that in your district um, an advantage, a disadvantage? And how are you handling that? You know, we saw a lot of attention on that last year with... Uh, certain candidates for city council having to navigate? Do they take the mayor's endorsement? Do they stay away from him? Um, how are you navigating that? How are you talking about that? I'm very proud of what my portfolio was at City Hall. Um, so I oversaw uh, community and ethnic media relationships, um, not only for City Hall itself, but you know, helping uh, all of our city agencies make sure that we were talking uh, to people in being inclusive of all languages. So language access was something that was uh, very important to me and actually coincides with my district. In my district, we speak more than 160 languages. It's the most diverse district in the, in the, in the state. Um, and uh, aside from that, I because of that, I had the opportunity to work on you know minority and women owned business uh, initiatives with uh, with the state. Um, I was able to work on pre K, the pre K expansion um, with uh, Deputy Mayor Bury. Um, both of which benefited benefited both of my both of my boys, so I got to see firsthand actually how great that program really was. It was especially helpful in our district, particularly in Corona, um, where people tend to be less affluent and um, really needed uh, you know a safe place to send their children to, um, a place where where it's play based learning. Um, and I got to work on uh, you know the first lady's mental health roadmap, Thrive NYC. Uh, so. Th those are the issues that I worked on when I was at City Hall, um, and uh, I between that and my experience in the labor movement, I've I've really um, touched on uh, many different uh, policy issues from from really from a working person's perspective, from an immigrant's perspective, um, and that's how I look at legislation too. One of the things that I'm going to be talking about more is small businesses. Um, you know, small businesses here in New York City, um, by I think it's 46 percent are owned by immigrants and and that percentage is much higher in my district and we're starting to see that as the work economy is changing more people are ordering from Amazon and other online places um, there are there are places like restaurants um, and, and bars and and places of entertainment that can't be um, can't be ordered online so we have to make sure that in order to protect our economic corridors um, that for example uh, when there are complaints made about businesses but there are no violations that have been found that you know those small businesses records remain clean so that they can keep you know renewing the licenses they need uh to survive if, if i mean I, I heard you on that on all that um do you want the mayor's support in this primary and do you want him to come campaign 
for you? I mean, is that something you would welcome? So I'm working on a broad coalition of support. I mean, I even had the people for Bernie Sanders, um, you know, endorse me for this race as well. I am looking for, you know, Democrats of all stripes that understand what being a real Democrat is to come on board. Um, my boss, my former boss, knows me uh, very well on a personal basis, um, and so I think that he would be able to speak to my work ethic very well. Uh, you know, part of running for office is really a job interview. Um, you know, just that you get, or your boss becomes, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of people. Um, and I think the more that people understand what it is to work uh, with me and for me to work for them, um, the more the more effective or, or effectively our message will get out to voters. Uh, Robert, one of the questions that your opponent has raised about you is your environmental record over recent years. One of your affiliations has been with the Restaurant Alliance. You've been an outspoken opponent of some of the de Blasio administration's efforts to regulate polystyrene foam, otherwise mm -hmm. known as styrofoam. Uh, some folks see that as not been particularly, uh, not having been particularly attuned to uh, environmental concerns in the city, environmental justice. What's your reaction to that? Why, why are you uh, fighting against a foam, a foam well, prohibition? Well, if you look at my record in the city council, I was the one that sponsored the anti fracking <coughs> bill. I'm the one who fought for uh, getting rid of the PCBs in the schools. And in fact, under Mayor Bloomberg, uh, they said 10 years, and I said, absolutely no way. 10 years is way too long. And I, and I said to those on the other side, I mean in the mayor's office, if you believe 10 years is okay, let your children sit in there for 10 years. We're not willing to do that. And obviously uh, the U.S. EPA agreed with us that 10 years was way too long. Okay, so when you look at um, also uh, recycling, you know, I was in favor of recycling. When you look at recycling, the first ever recycling in night and NYCHA, New York City Housing Authority, was in the Grant Houses. And that was an initiative that myself and the leaders of, of Grant Houses put forward, where they were recycling. None, no other nice NYCHA uh, development recycles. When you look at foam and polystyrene number six, uh, we want to recycle all of that and take it out of the landfill totally. And right now, all of that is going into the landfill. And so when you take it out of the landfill, okay, so it doesn't go in there, and then you recycle into products that you can use, that's a good thing. And so that's what it's about. It's about 100% recycling of all of that. It will save consumers. It will save small businesses millions of dollars, and the city would save tens of millions of dollars to recycle all of that. I think that's a good thing. A uh, quick question about yeah. the, uh, some of the, for lack of a better word, identity aspects of the race you're in. You're okay. uh, a man of, of mixed black and Asian heritage. Right. You're running against a Latina, um, a woman in a year when we're concerned about female representation in government, a person who's Latino in a district that has many Latinos. What is, do you think there is a, a dimension to this race that involves gender or ethnicity? Are there some legitimate concerns about taking that kind of a voice out of the state senate and putting in another, just another man? Well, I, I think that obviously there is an issue um, when you look at all of the groups and organizations that are out there. You know, you talk about Me Too, you talk about Black Lives Matter, you talk about, you know, all of the, uh, the hashtags that are out there that clearly... Uh, it are issues. But the people of the 31st Senatorial District are looking at who are they going to put up in Albany 
that will best represent them, all, all of the issues and concerns that impact them. And one of the things I say to you is, one thing is you have a Latina going up there and then coming back and communicating that she's doing the right thing when everyone knows that she's a turncoat. Everyone knows that she talks a good game in Albany and, and, and affiliates herself with the Republicans and she comes back into the city and thinks that she's a progressive Democrat. You're not a progressive Democrat when you don't put forward the farm workers uh, bill that has been passed in the Assembly. You're not a, a good Democrat when you don't push uh, the rent laws being governed by New York City and not New York State. You're not a progressive Democrat when you don't pass the, uh, the New York Health Care Act. You're not a good Democrat when you don't fight, okay, for women's reproductive rights. All of these things in LGBT, you're not a good Democrat, a progressive Democrat, if you're not standing up to them. And people know that that's what they're going to get with me. And so when the bottom line is, they want a representative. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, yellow, green, or blue, whether you're rich or you're poor, you're male, female, or transgender. They want a fighter that's going to fight for them in order to bring the changes that will make their lives better. And that's what they get with me. One, uh, we're in our last few minutes here with um, state Senate candidates uh, Jessica Ramos and Robert Jackson, who are uh, trying in their respective uh, state Senate primaries to unseat uh, members of the Independent Democratic Conference of the State Senate um, in the September primary. Um, one thing, and we'll let IDC members and the candidates you're opposing, you know, speak for themselves, and we'll invite them on, certainly. Um, and, you know, we asked you, there are other people uh, trying to unseat IDC members, um, but, but we asked the two of you to join us today. But just um, one of the things that uh, the IDC and its members, two things that they actually highlight about the power-sharing agreement they've reached with Senate Republicans are, one, they've been able to bring a lot of resources, financial resources, back to their districts. They've been able to bring Boo. a lot of... Blood Boo. money. Uh, a, a lot of sort of pork dollars uh, back as part of this deal. And two, um, and Jessica, I think you hit on this a little bit, they say they've been able to influence the budget and legis legislative outcomes to pass some progressive measures each year that watered down, watered down, <laughs> that wouldn't otherwise be passed. Um, so, other than the the, the hissing and booing uh, <laughs> during my question, <laughs> um, are there other uh, responses that you have to both lots of money being brought back to IDC districts and um, crumbs, and the fact that they've been able to, they, they say they've been able to really influence the outcomes when otherwise they wouldn't be as progressive. Yeah, so Congressman Joe Crowley himself called, you know, this discretionary funding and this doling out of checks blood money um, because really it's, you know, payment that they are receiving in exchange for supporting that Republican majority. And, you know, lest we forget that that discretionary funding is actually our own very... Uh, our very own taxpayer dollars. Um, and, and the reality of, of the matter is that, you know, no matter how much money they're doling out to uh, schools and CBOs, and, and it's very needed, right? We've, we've talked about, you know, how, how, much funding, how much more funding our schools need. Um, it's really a drop in the bucket. That's right. In comparison to you know the good that we could bring and that the good that we could deliver if we were actually fixing what's wrong with the system and 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 I and I would just add that I would love to have the opportunity to go to Albany to make sure that we're figuring out how that discretionary funding is distributed equitably just like just like the city council does today um, you know it's a, it's a practice of the past it shouldn't matter who is in the majority every single district uh, that has 
those New Yorkers that pay taxes should be receiving the same amount of funding. <laughs> Anything to add on that? Well, I said earlier that, you know, they're eating crumbs off the Republican plates. That's what Mike Tiernaris, who is a deputy uh, in the Democratic uh, uh, Conference, has said, and I totally agree with him. And, I, and Jessica said it right. The CBOs in our district, they need funding in order to deal with the issues and concerns where people are being evicted, you know, and displaced and domestic violence, all of the issues that impact poorer districts. And uh, so they, 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 they definitely want the funding, whether or not it's from the IDC or from anyone else. They need the funding. Uh, but in reality, they know that uh, they know and we know that that's just a drop in the bucket overall. And I say to you that uh, when the Democrats uh, come into place, it's about, you know, as Jessica said, sharing the wealth to everyone. But that's just one as far as discretionary. The bigger picture is all the legislative stuff that needs to be done. That's where our people are going to, you know, uh, uh, benefit from. Uh, so with that and some little discretionary funding, that we'll be in a much better place with a Democratic-led uh, majority. So final question is about probably the most important uh, impact of the state on the city, which is education funding. You both mm -hmm. referenced that. Robert, I know you're kind of an icon in that fight. You're now living it with your two young children. Uh, the idea that the state owes the city money is taken as a given, but it's starting to feel a little bit like um, arguing about whether we should uh, stop making it dark at night. I mean, candidates keep coming forward, progressive candidates say, railing against that inequality, saying we've got to fight it, but it doesn't change. And I'm wondering if it's honest to talk to voters about whether that is even possible to change at this point, or whether we're just railing against something that is a convenient sort of stalking horse. It's possible, because Jessica said it. When you break it down to individual schools, then the parents of that school could see that this school is missing X amount, $2 million or $3 million. When you look at the district, so AQE, the Alliance for Quality Education, put out a roadmap of every school and how much each school is missing as a result of the, uh, um, the fair student funding formula. And so that's the struggle that you can identify at the local level. And Joanna Garcia, who is an education advocate, she's the president of the CEC District 6, uh, we put it out there on a continuous basis. And here's the bottom line. If, in fact, the governor and the legislature does not do the right thing, then you have to force their hand. Right. And how do you force their hand? You file a lawsuit. And that's what we did with CFE. Yes, it took 13 years, but it brought about $11.2 billion in capital money. And Elliot Spitzer, I don't care what people say about him, what he said to me, he said, RJ, when I become the governor, I will finally settle the CFE case. And he did. $5.5 billion in expense money, 3.3 from the state and 2.2 from the city under Mayor Bloomberg. And that's the bottom line is, but when... The state was in financial trouble, yes, they stretched it out. But when they came back in the black, give us some money for our kids. And they refused to. Who's they? The governor. Okay, and as a result of that, Michael Rebell, the same attorney that led the CFE case, he filed another lawsuit in February 2014, going after that $4.3 billion for our children. The best thing that we can do for our children is give them a good quality education so they can be the engineers, the doctors, the lawyers, the social workers, police officers, firefighters, whatever they want to be. That's what it's about. Jessica, right, last, Jessica? Last word. Can the state afford to make the city whole? 
the state can very much afford uh, in, afford uh, applying the foundation aid formula that was dictated by by that by that judgment. Um, you know, there are other budget lines that I think we don't look at uh, often enough. Um, and for example, not a lot of people know that when you uh, gamble here in New York State and you, uh, you lose your your money, um, you can actually write that off uh, off of your taxes. And in 2015, those tax deductions amounted to nearly $900 million. Um, so that would go a long way uh, to not only, you know, to, to helping our children or even, you know, buy ourselves the, the new signal system that we so desperately need. I mean, we have to buy a new signal system for our subways before it turns 100 uh, in, in, you know, about 10 years. Um, but so there are other funding streams that, that we can find. And I would say that we also have to, you know, at the very least, elected officials have the bully pulpit to use. Um, but and if we can't find legislative solutions, sometimes you have to sue. But we are, I think, game to do whatever it is that we need to do in order to make sure that, that the foundation aid formula that was set forth in that decision is actually applied um, and that our kids uh, get the justice they deserve. Well, Jessica Ramos and Robert Jackson, candidates for the state senate, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank, thank you for, you having, for us. having me.